Well, we're never really satisfied in this country, are we? We're either saying it's too cold or it's too hot. And boy, is it hot today, eh? But we have a battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And today, it's definitely the flesh we're going to be battling against to concentrate and focus. But I encourage you to do that, uh, to recognize that we have an enemy who wants to rob us of what God wants to give us and to bring to us. And he will work hard to do that. And so sometimes we have to be on the front foot and recognize that we have a battle with the, war, with the world, the flesh, and the devil. And uh, so I encourage you, battle on for half an hour. And let's see what God will do in us and say to us. Let's come with faith, not faith in any way, shape, or form in me, but faith in him, the one who loves us and gave himself for us, the one who loves to talk to his children. Do you know what? He wants to talk to you this morning. Do you know that? Isn't that amazing that you can be counted as the friend of God this morning? The one who set the stars in place. This morning wants to talk to you. So let's come expectant that he will speak. Let's pray. Father, we are so privileged. What a privileged people we are to be able to gather together and have a promise over us that says where two or three of you together, there will I be. What a promise. And we would not take that promise lightly. So we tell you again, Heavenly Father, Saviour Jesus, precious Holy Spirit, blessed Trinity, you are welcome here to do your sovereign work in our lives and in the life of this congregation, this gathered people, this ecclesia, this church, the church against whom the gates of hell will not prevail. And so we come and we ask you, Heavenly Father, will you speak to us, please? We are desperate for you to lead us and guide us and speak to us and change us and to make us a little bit more like the Lord Jesus. So come do that, we pray this morning. In his precious name, amen. We looked last week at uh, Jacob. We've started just a two-week mini-series on Jacob. This is the second of those. And last week, we just recognized that God chooses who he chooses, and he chooses the most unlikely. Jacob could not be described as a hero. His very name means heel, grasper, deceiver. And boy, did he live up to that name when you read the story. It's quite difficult to find very much in Jacob's life that we can use as an example. So you know there are other great heroes of the faith. David, and uh, you, we could talk about David's characteristics. We could talk about what God had made David to be. There would be lots of things in the story of David or Moses. Yes, they had their faults, but there was lots of heroic stuff about those figures. Jacob, do you know what? It's quite difficult to find stuff that's heroic about Jacob, and yet God chooses who he chooses. And last week, we recognized that we don't have the right to comment on who he chooses. I may have my reservations about him having chosen you, but I don't have the right to comment on that because he chooses who he chooses. And once you are chosen, 
it says in the book of Romans that the call and the gift of God are irrevocable. That's what it says. If you're called, if you're saved, however you might feel, whether you have failed him, his call on your life and his gifts to you are irrevocable. That's what makes Jacob special. Not because of something he did, not because of something he was, but because he had the call of God on his life and it was irrevocable. And so do you. Well, we're going to move on from looking at the call of God on Jacob's life to looking at um, another episode when he encounters God. So we looked at God's call on him. We looked at at that story of the the ladder and uh, God making his presence known to Jacob in that way. And Jacob saying, the Lord was here and I was unaware of it. Suddenly Jacob becomes aware that God is where he is. And now we're moving on to a later part of the story. And at this moment, uh, Jacob is about to meet Esau again. They have been apart for the best part of 20 years. And the last time Jacob saw Esau was when Esau wanted to kill him for robbing his birthright from him. And we pick up the story now where uh, Jacob is about to return to the land of his father. And to do so, he's got to go through uh, the land where Esau is. And he's frightened, unsurprisingly. And he's uh, put all of his family in three different groups and uh, to try and separate them so that if Esau picks some of them off, at least some of them will escape. And he sends them across the river, and then he's on his own. He's alone. He's alone at night, knowing what he's going to face the next morning. And so we pick up the story in Genesis 32 and verse 22. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives and his two maidservants and his eleven sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man answered him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Jacob asks God for a blessing. Following his wrestle, his striving, he asks God for a blessing. 
But it's interesting, isn't it, that actually it's God asks something of Jacob first. He asks him what his name is. Does God not know what Jacob's name is? This struck me as an odd thing for God to do. Why did God ask Jacob what his name was? You see, I think it's because God knew that before Jacob needed a blessing, he needed something else first. Jacob needed something else before he needed a blessing from God. Jacob's name meant heal, like we've just looked at, deceiver, grasper, and he had lived up to that name the whole of his life. He's running currently away from his, or he's just running, been running away from his father-in-law, who he managed to trick out of some of his flocks. He has spent his whole life being a deceiver, a grasper. And that's what his name means. Now, can you imagine every time you meet a new person, and the first question they're likely to ask you is, what's your name? One of the first questions they'll ask. Now, that's okay if your name doesn't mean anything. And indeed, in our culture, pretty much we don't think about names anymore as meaning something. They're more of a label. Some people will definitely call their children a name because they know the meaning of it, but many other people will choose it just because they like the sound of it. But back in the day, back in Jacob's day, names were extremely important. They carried meaning. You imagine if, if your name is Heel. And every time somebody asks you your name, you've got to, you've got to tell them your name is Heel. Grasper, deceiver. I imagine that Jacob dreaded that moment when he'd meet a new person. And they'd say, well, what's your name? Heel. Okay. Ooh. You see, God recognizes, I think, that Jacob needs something else before he needs a blessing. He needs to face up to his legacy. Now, if God doesn't make him face up to what his name is and his legacy because he wants to rub his nose in the dirt with it. But he does recognize that Jacob needs to face up to the legacy that he's always carried. A legacy from the past. Now, let me tell you about a legacy from my past that to an extent I still carry. So when I was young, I told you last week I was no alpha male, didn't I? And here's another example of that. When I was young, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't great at sport at all. Uh, but, but I remember one day, I couldn't catch a ball. Couldn't catch a ball. I was at primary school, couldn't catch a ball. And I remember I was out in the garden with my grandfather, and my granddad said to me, he always used to call me Sonny Boy. Okay, Sonny Boy, I'm going to teach you how to catch a ball. And I didn't know and up until that point that to catch a ball, you have, actually have to keep your eye on the ball. You know, I just, it came to me, and I would just flap my arms about like that. I didn't, hadn't realized you actually have to look at the ball. And I remember him, I distinctly remember him saying, Sonny, sonny boy, keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye on the ball, sonny boy. Okay, okay, okay granddad. I learned to catch a ball. And I remember that that feeling was a good feeling. He taught me to catch a ball. He persevered with me. He was patient with me. He loved me so I could take anything he was saying because I knew he, he wanted me to learn to catch a ball because he, he wanted me to be able to do that. 
And so probably when I was at primary school, I was okay with sports and games because I'd been taught how to catch a ball now, so I was okay. I still wasn't the best coordinated, but I was okay. I liked it, games. I liked sport. I liked playing on the beach when you go on the beach. You know, you play your cricket, games of cricket with your parents or your grandparents or your uncles or your aunts or those sort of games or frisbee on the beach. Yeah, I loved all of that until I got to secondary school. And when I got to secondary school, I discovered, uh, without no uncertain t- in no uncertain terms, that actually when you compared me with other people, no, I was rubbish at sport. <laughs> and I learned that because, and I don't attach blame to them, although, it, although it's a lesson I learned in my own teaching. As a teacher, I learned this lesson. I don't want to be like this. My PE teachers at school, some of them, they were tough. And if you weren't the best coordinated, well, you could expect to be sidelined. And I remember, and probably some of you remember these, we've probably all been in this situation at one point or another, when, and I never do this either, when you, one of your classmates is chosen as the captain and they're allowed to choose their team, you know? And I remember distinctly often standing there <laughs> and, and, and the crowd would disperse as they were put onto the two teams. And I would be still there, and quite often I'd be the last. In fact, I remember once I just had to wander onto a team because I didn't get chosen by anybody. That's the absolute truth. I just thought, right, I'm not standing here anymore, I'll just wander over it. And, uh, and so from, from at that moment, I realized, boy, I'm rubbish at this. Now, what I think a good teacher might have done is then thought with me and perhaps others, okay, I'm going to invest a bit. Let's, let's at least get them up to a level of some sort. Um, But I don't remember that. All I remember is the feeling of rejection. That's what I I remember. The legacy that I carried for years, and to an extent I still carry, is that I will do anything to avoid sport. Anything. So it's interesting. Um, It's not an issue for me so much now. But I realize that legacy is still there to an extent. So yesterday we had a men's breakfast and we talked about some of the stuff that we could do after this breakfast, you know, after oh, we've had this series of four breakfasts, and, and we talked about, yeah, we could also just meet socially. It'd be good to do some social stuff. And, uh, and Matt said, yeah, I mean, we could go paintballing. And, and my heart sank. <laughs> my heart sank. Because I thought, oh, no, that, that involves coordination, doesn't it? <laughs> and... Uh, And so to an extent, I still carry that legacy. And certainly earlier in my life, what that legacy meant was I found it quite difficult to relate to guys. Because sport is such a leveler, isn't it? You know, guys talk about sport. They love sport. And if that's something that you feel inadequate with, and I did, then you don't quite know how to relate on that level. And you'll find any excuse you can to try and avoid those type of situations. And for many, many years, I did. And to an extent, I still live with that legacy. Well, Jacob had a legacy that was a bit more serious than just uh, not liking sport. Jacob's legacy was that he was known by everyone as a deceiver. And God, before God gives him a blessing, after he's been wrestling with God... And, and, and that wrestling, do you know, at, one, at long last, it's like Jacob is realizing, I can't make life work. I'm going to have to wrestle with this God to make life work. And so God now is engaging with Jacob. 
And Jacob wants to be blessed, but actually God says, do you know what, there's something, there's something first. We've got to deal with your legacy first. What's your name? Heal, deceiver. Okay, should we deal with that legacy? Do you have legacies? Do you have some legacies that, that, that you need to deal with or that God wants to deal with you in you? Have you got stuff that goes back way, way in your past and still to an extent you live with it and it's affected the way life is now to an extent? And maybe you manage to live with it most of the time, but there are times when it will rear its ugly head again. And there's a legacy. And do you know what? God wants to deal with legacy. So what does he, what does he do? What's, what is God's answer? He asks Jacob his name, so Jacob has to face his legacy. And then he says... Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with man and have overcome. It says in Mark 4, Jesus says, For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out in the open. Now, sometimes we read that with a sense of fear. And that's understandable because actually when you think about all the hidden stuff you've got, there is a sense of fear about that where you should say, oh, God, forgive me. But also, he says that to us lovingly. That's why he made Jacob face up to what his name was, not because he wanted to rub his, dirt, rub his nose in the dirt about it, but because he wants to reveal something that's concealed and bring it into the open. And when God does that, he does it because he loves us and he wants to deal with it. So if there is something, if there is stuff and you think, yeah, that's hidden in me and I've suppressed it, but I know it's a result of legacy, some form of legacy in my life. And he's putting his finger on that and he wants to bring it into the open. Is that because he wants to expose you and he's angry about it? No, it isn't. Because he's lovingly saying to you, look, what's hidden needs to come, come out. It needs to come into the open. It needs to be revealed. Then I can deal with it. He tells Jacob that he's going to give him a new name. He says, you will no longer be Jacob. God is able in a moment to break Jacob's legacy. Now, we might be thinking, and when we read the story of Jacob, we, we t I don't know about you, I tend to think of him as quite a young man. And until, he, until he's with Joseph and he's leaning on his staff right at the end of the story, and then you think, oh boy, this, this, this guy's old now. But at this sort of stage in the story, you tend to feel this is Jacob. Jacob's still quite a young man. He's still learning lots of stuff. Do you know what? He's over 60 at this point. He's over 60. He was 40 when he and Esau had the argument over the birthright, and he's been away for at least 20 years. Do the maths. 60. He's over 60 years old, and God's still wanting to deal with legacy in him. And sometimes, you know what, we can feel, we can feel like, um, well, I've, just, I've, just been, I've always, always been like this. I've just lived with this for years. A leopard doesn't change its spots. I'm too old to change. Or maybe other people have said that to you. Well, Jacob was over 60 when God says, 
I'm going to break that legacy. Jacob is not going to be your name anymore. Do you know that? You've lived a life where you have got an image of yourself as a deceiver. You've lived up to it. And I'm going to break it. In a moment, God can break a legacy. Do you know that? He can. In a moment. Whether you're six or whether you're 60, you're never too old to have him come into your life and break a legacy that you've been living with for years and years and years that has dragged you down, that has kept you from enjoying the fullness that he has for you. He can break it in a moment by telling you, no, you're not that. That's not your identity. I give you your identity. Not what you've done in the past. Not what your parents said to you. Not your level of education. Not your social standing. Not how much money you do or don't have in the bank. No, I give you your identity. So forget that identity and have the one I'm giving you. That's what he's saying to Jacob. You will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and man and have overcome. It's interesting, isn't it, that God gives Jacob a new name after he's had a period of striving with him. If you look back at Jacob's story up to this point, whenever Jacob has hit trouble, he has tried to sort it out himself, usually using the most devious means he can come up with. That's the way that that Jacob has tried to live life. It hasn't worked that well for him. At the point we read the story, he has four wives. Okay, Now, that might sound like heaven to some people here, but to others, they'll realize this is not a good thing. He has four wives. He has fallen out with his father-in-law. He's got a brother who hates him and wants to kill him. So far, Jacob's attempts to make life work have not really worked too well. It's interesting, isn't it, that God gives Jacob a new name after Jacob has had a period of striving with him. It's like God saying, do you know what? I love it when people strive with me. I do. Is there some stuff that you're trying to work out in life at the moment? And you're trying to come up with your solutions and you're trying to come up with a way of managing it, have you striven with God about it? Do you know he invites you to? He invites you to strive with him about it. There are things that you are trying to manipulate or manage in life. You want to make this work or that work. And do you know what? It doesn't seem to be happening. So, you know, I'd love to be married. So let me just see if I can do something to make this happen Have you striven with God about it? Because he loves it if you strive with him about it. He invites you to strive with him about it. 
God gave Jacob a new name after he had striven with him. Can you imagine what Jacob was saying? I can't make this life work anymore. Good, (laughs) says God. Now you're in the right place. Now you can have a new name. Shall we forget about the past? Shall we do away with that legacy where you've been trying to make it work by yourself? Now, at long last, you have striven with me. Now I'll give you a new name. Don't try and work life out by yourself. Strive with him, and he will give you a new identity. But it's very interesting, you see, that God also then has to remind Jacob of his identity a little bit later. So having gone through this striving with God and this new name that he now has, Jacob now goes to face Esau. And God delivers him. And there's the biggest surprise waiting because Esau throws his arms around him. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that a sign of God doing something? That this brother who I was expecting to battle and I thought he was probably just going to take me out. Instead of that, he throws his arms around me and weeps. Isn't that evidence of God? Well, you would think that that would be enough proof for Jacob that God's with him and God's going to work stuff out for him. And when you strive with God, it's worth it. You'd think that was enough for Jacob, but you know what it says in that story? That Esau says, well, come back with me then. And uh, I'll leave some of my guys to help you come to where, where I'm at. And Jacob says, yeah, 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 now come. Yeah, no, bruv, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah, I'm coming. Uh, just, just let me water the flocks and, you know, there's some of them with young and there'll be a bit of a struggle. So you go on ahead, I'll meet you there. So Esau goes on and Jacob goes a different way. He's still the deceiver. He's still living with his old name. God's given him a new name, but to an extent he's still living with the old one. And we read a little bit later on in Genesis 35... These words. Jacob's now going back to the place where he first met God. Genesis 35, verse 9. Jacob returned from Padan Aram, and God appeared to him again and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. He did it again. Do you know sometimes that's our story, that's my story, that I have to hear him say it to me again? Because I can forget, and I can go back to my old default, and I can try and make life work my way. And he says, no, no, just a second, hang on. Do you remember? That's not your identity anymore. Do you remember? You've gone back to living under your own old identity again. You remember I'd called you a different name? Isn't it interesting that what God doesn't do is he doesn't say to Jacob, well, you've blown it, haven't you? I gave you a new name. What have you done? You've ignored it. Well, just have your old one then. Stick with it. God doesn't do that at all. And he doesn't do that with us. 
He is so gracious and loving. He is the wonderful counsellor. He knows when we've gone back to our default position. He knows when we've started living under our old name again. And he comes to us and says, sorry, new name, that legacy's over. Do you remember? Oh, yes, God, sorry, I remember, I remember. He does that because he's so very gracious to us. He doesn't rub our nose in it. He doesn't despair. And then there's one other little thing in this story that just I've tried to get my head around. And that is that when God has given Jacob a new name, Jacob then says to God, please tell me your name. Please tell me your name. And, and God says, why are you asking me my name? And I thought, that's a bit odd, isn't it? It seems fair enough. Jacob says, you know, you've asked me my name, what's your name? Seems all right, doesn't it? And was it that Jacob didn't know that it was God he was dealing with? Well, clearly he did, because a little, just later in that account, he, he says, I've, he names this place Peniel, which means I've seen the face of God. And I've lived. He knew by then who it was he'd been wrestling with. Why did, why did God say to him, why are you asking my name? Well, do you know, I think it's the same reason in a way that he touched his hip and put it out of joint. Because although God invites familiarity, he doesn't have to answer any questions from anybody, actually. He's the one who asks the questions. You think of the story of Job. At the end of that story, God says to Job, okay, let me, let me ask you some questions. Were you there when I made all of this? And at the end of this, Job says, oh, I realise I didn't really know what I was talking about. It's basically what he says. See, God doesn't have to give us an answer. He doesn't have to give us answers. He might ask answers of us. But actually, God doesn't need to answer our questions. But isn't it wonderful that after that, after it says that God said, why are you asking me that? The very next sentence is, he blessed him. He blessed him. His blessing is on his terms, not ours. Sometimes I don't understand why things go a particular way. But I can be confident that he will bless me and it will be on his terms and they're always good. And so sometimes I just have to accept that I might ask something of God and you know what? He's not under obligation to answer me. But he will bless me. Is there a need in your life that you've been trying to manufacture a solution for yourself? And do you need instead to strive with God over it? Psalm 62 says, Trust in him all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for he is our refuge. 
Is there a legacy that needs to be broken? If the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Have you still been living under your old name? Does it feel like all the doors keep shutting instead of opening? Is that because you're still living under your old name? You're going about with your old passport. That one's old. You won't get anywhere with that one. You need to have your new passport with your new name on it. Have you blown it? No. Because his call and his gifts are irrevocable. It's a lovely passage which talks about a new name when God talks to his people. The nation shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate but you shall be called, my delight is in her. When we belong to God, he names us. He breaks the legacy of the past. And sometimes we forget and choose to live under an old legacy. But he wants to break it. And if you've done this before and you think, oh, I've been here before, I know that I've, I've, I've been here before with this stuff in my past. It's reared its head before. I thought I would dealt with it before, and yet it's still there. Have you blown it? No. Will he take away your new name? No. He'll remind you of your new name, and then he'll bless you. And, you know, there's no greater uh, symbol of that than the Lord's Supper, which is what we're going to do in a moment we're going to take bread and wine. Because when you come and take bread and wine, when you come again to the foot of the cross, you can leave your old legacy there. That's where he wants you to leave it. As you come and take bread and wine, he wants you to leave your old legacy there. And he wants you to say, God, I'm going to strive with you over my issues again. I'm sorry I've tried to sort it out myself, but I'm coming back to the cross. Will you please do away with my old legacy? Will you please help me to strive with you over the stuff in my life? Will you remind me again of my my new name? (coughs) That's what we're going to do as we come and take bread and wine. And I'm going to ask Matt to put just some music on. And this is a time when you can do some dealing with God. And if you'd like someone to pray with you, we're really happy to do that. If, you, if you've got a legacy that you think, do you know what, I just would like someone to pray with me so that I know that that's done with again, then we can do that. We are happy to pray with you. Or you can do dealings with God yourself, just like Jacob did. Jacob didn't need anyone else. God just dealt with him. And sometimes God uses other people, and sometimes he'll just do it with you on your own.
But if you've got some stuff that you know is a legacy from the past that you want him to break, then now's the time you can, you can invite him to do that. If you want him to remind you again of what your new name is, you can ask him to do that. If you want to repent that you've been trying to make life work yourself and you've forgotten that actually striving with God is a good thing and he loves it and his blessing results from it, then you can come and say sorry and you can repent and you can say, God, I've messed up again. I want to strive over my issues with you and with no one else. You can do that at the table. You can do it at the cross. So we're going to have some music on. And then when you're ready, and we'll move the table into the middle, you can just come and you can take some bread and you can take some wine.